Hey folks, welcome to the Red Stars Podcast, the show that's about improving the life, well-being, and productivity of mechanics everywhere. I'm your host, Mr. Joshua Taylor, founder of Wrench Dinners Online. On today's show, I get to talk with a very interesting individual. He's amazing, he started as a technician, and now he's doing some very high-level diagnostics. He's the dealer technical support manager for Nissan. It's Dale Pettigrew. In today's episode of the Registrar's Podcast, we talked about diversity of knowledge, seek first to understand, check pins before calling Dale, and always staying curious. Let's get into it. jump in so so dale tell us tell us how you got into automotive good sir uh well i had a pretty direct path unlike some of your other guests who had kind of an interesting um interesting stories where they started out in something completely different but i actually uh, straight shot right from high school uh took some automotive shop uh classes in high school did well at them and we had a had an instructor that was kind of a progressive guy, uh, and this was you got to remember this is in the late '80s, so we were making the big shift between carburation and fuel injection, mm-hmm. and he kind of saw that there was going to big there was going to be a big kind of uh, information vacuum there when guys who had been in the trade didn't know a lot about it, uh, so he wanted to kind of arm his students going forward with a little more knowledge about fuel injection, electrical diagnosis. So he actually ran a pilot class uh, where he got to pick about a dozen students to do that in senior when I was in my senior year. Uh, did well at that. Um, the local GM dealership where I lived, they were just getting into their in-house training program, ASEP they called it, Automotive Service Education Program. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and they asked, uh, he had asked my, my uh, instructor for some names from the class, from that uh, fuel injection class to put forward for uh, potential enrollment. So he gave four or five names. We interviewed, we had to do aptitude testing. Um, and then my buddy of mine actually got the job. And then a couple of days later, they called me too and said, we did really well at the aptitude testing. So we'd like to hire both of you. So at last exam was literally like on a Wednesday or Thursday and mm-hmm. started a dealership the following Monday. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Real cool. Yeah, straight to them. Yeah. Cool. So, and, and then once you got into the dealership, what what was that? Uh, what was that first year like? Absolute chaos. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why am I not surprised? That seems yeah. to be common. That seems to be quite common. Yeah. There's no um. The, our education system it just doesn't prep you right for dealership life. So no. auto classes. You're working on the same car for weeks, you know, 40 minutes a day kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you get to the dealership and it's all of a sudden you got to have this out the door in two hours. You know, and there's uh, the the variety of work is a lot different. You know, just doing basic stuff, you know, you're all over the car doing different things. And and uh, yeah, just the pace is completely different. Yeah, it's it's. And in automotive, it's interesting, and, and after being in automotive for so long and now having the opportunity to, to spend some time turning wrenches in a power sports store, you know, I remember first com- when I first came into automotive, you know, I'd work on 
this is 2003 or pre previous. I don't think I think it was started before that. Anyway, 2003, I'd be working on, you know, five caravans, two Dodge Rams, and maybe throw in a Neon in a day. You know, all the same brand. You know, roughly the same architecture, roughly the same stuff. All got four wheels. You know, basically the same kind of brakes all the way around, basically. You know, um, just fairly fairly simple in that regard in terms of, of concept. And what I'm trying to get at is, you know, I spent a year and a half in a power sports store. And at, you know, 9 o'clock in the morning, I could be working on a 1978 Honda CB. And an hour and a half later, after doing a cert and a quick oil change, I could be working on a 2016 uh, Polaris 850 Sportsman. And after two hours of that, I could be working on, you know, a, a 1998 Triumph uh, Speedmaster. And then I could be working on... You know, a a a fifteen year old Can Am side by side, whatever, whatever. Like it's, we undervalue the diversity that mechanics need to learn in a day, and the large volume dealerships have even more difficulty getting their mechanics to learn all the product because now you're. You know, you get a, if you happen to be at a GM store like you're talking about, you know, GM, GMC, Chevy, Cadillac, Buick. Yes, they, they have a lot of the same architecture, but they have, you know, small changes in the things that make them work and how things go together. They're slightly different bits. You go to a larger store or even a, a large uh, a used car supercenter of some description, you could have every brand on the sun you could have 26 different brands from you know, the last 20 25 years or more and you know there are the heavy duty folks that listen to the show they're listening they're, they're working on stuff not only from different brands but from different decades and from completely different uh um product you've got excavators then you have dump trucks and then you have you know, pumper trucks and fire trucks, and you've got, you know, skid steers and, and all of that. So jumping in as an apprentice, day one, right out of high school, to think that you're overwhelmed day one, wait until you get to, you know, day 180, wait until you get to day 1800 to, to think about what the kind of stuff you work on in a day is, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, I actually, before that, I worked in a marine business, uh, kind of part-time evenings and weekends and stuff, and those guys mm -hmm. had to do, uh, they were a dealership that sold uh, Skidoo snow machines, and they also did uh, marine stuff, so they'd be mm -hmm. working on a 1975 Johnson outboard, and then they're they're working on a, you know, 95 Skidoo, you know, Formula <laughs> Plus kind of thing, right? Um, and yeah, just the variety of stuff that uh, you had to know. And it was just, yeah, absolutely staggering when you walk in there as a as a high school student. And then you get now. Since that time, since that first chaotic year for you, learning, you know, learning what we we learn as as mechanics coming into the business. What's what's happened between then and now? For me personally. Yeah. Yeah. So. 
<clears throat> I've been around a bit. So, uh, so I was at GM and for about five years, finished my apprenticeship. Uh, that program that they were that they ran, that ASAP program, was kind of a condensed version. So we were in school every other two months. So they ran five sessions instead of the three regular school sessions, and it was uh, every alternating eight weeks. So we'd be back at work for eight weeks, we'd be back at school for eight weeks. Um, finished that up, got my Red Seal, um, then moved moved on to a couple independent facilities, did that for two years at one place, two years at a different place. It wasn't a really good fit for me, uh, and then I got on at a Toyota dealership uh, where I was at there. Spent about eight years there, seven, eight years, and then moved out to Alberta to another Toyota store. Then I was a farm at a Nissan store for about four years, back to turning wrenches at a Toyota store in a different town where I am now, and then got on with uh, with Nissan Canada. So you're, and, and I, we've had this discussion, but I know I know it, but everybody else to hear it, you're a technical support manager. So you're for 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 Nissan. So you're the you're the individual that we as mechanics call in when we get we get to that point where we go either I'm not making sense or the book's not making sense or the car is not making sense. Either way, we need to call somebody. I need an adultier adult. I need I need somebody who knows more about this than I do or at least can help clarify what's going on in front of me or or give me authorization to proceed with the crazy shit that I'm about to do. Right, yeah. So I'm actually a little bit beyond that. So what we most most manufacturers have uh, like a technical call center um, where if they're having issues with something they can call somebody an adult your adult as you said um, <laughs> to help out. Uh, and then if the tech stop making progress with our tech, technical support call center then I get involved. So it's like a further escalation where I can provide kind of one-on-one -on -one, uh, remote support, and if necessary, I go on site to the dealerships and help them at the store. That's awesome. So yeah, you're so you're the guy that that even comes in with the the golden toolbox, like oh oh this is okay back away back away this GTR will not start and we can't figure it out this guy is going to get it started. Yeah, kind of. I mean, my job is to provide support for the techs so um there's kind of a there's a bit of a misconception sometimes that i'm just going to show up and fix it and that's not my <laughs> job I'm there, to, I'm there to help the tech fix it and teach them and help them become more sustainable in the future so if they have something else similar that comes up in the future they're they're better equipped to handle it themselves oh awesome awesome so it's kind of like uh on-the-job training by somebody. Okay, that's 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 really cool. I didn't realize that, you know, the role added a level of education and and so I understood the support part, but knowing that it's like the 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 role is to be more impactful than just uh figure it out. It's a figure out, maybe clarify some training, maybe, and then I, I'm assuming that anything that you discover in the field like that, where you actually have to make a field call that uh, some of that stuff gets handed back to engineering. It's like, hey, we got to fix this, or, hey, you know, this isn't working right. These guys are not, it's not happening for them on the, on the shop floor. We need to make some changes. Is that part of part of the role as well? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, there's actually kind of a separate division that deals with the engineering department, 
to report mm -hmm. um, kind of product quality or durability issues, but we do certainly have a lot of input into that. Like anytime that we see something on site, we're doing we're, we're reporting that and getting it back to if there, it looks like it's a design issue, we get it back to the engineers so they can take a look at it for sure. Awesome. Yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of um, kind of training because it showing up and just fixing the car doesn't really help the technicians that much. It's when you show up and kind of teach them the the um, the philosophy of diagnosis, the process of it. Um, that's how they get better, right? So in the future, uh, if they run into a similar kind of problem, they can they can kind of handle it themselves. Now, how often do you get called out to to a shop? In that, in, yeah, in this capacity, so, obviously, it's been escalated to a point where it needs extra, extra help. How often does that happen? It goes in cycles. Like everything in the automotive business, it goes in cycles. I won't hear, I won't get uh, requests for a call out for sometimes weeks. I'll just deal with with everything remotely, and then all of a sudden, I'll get two and a three, two or three in a row that are real headaches, and you just kind of have to be there, you know, eyes on, hands on kind of thing. Uh, so it really goes in cycles. About eighty percent of my cases, I can probably resolve remotely. Okay. But I have, cool. like, I'm right now. I'm, I'm our territories just change a bit. But right, I've been um, responsible for all of Western Canada, so from Winnipeg to the West Coast to Whitehorse. Um, so quite a large area, so and about seventy different dealers that I help out. So it depends. You know, sometimes it's um, I could be. I was in Vancouver all last week. You know, I, two weeks before that, I was out west in Saskatchewan um, and then I might go weeks without having to go out on a call from in person so okay now I, I, you probably can't because of of privacy but can you share what one of those is or at least what it was about um, I don't really want to get into specifics about uh, certain cases fair no. enough fair enough what is so let's flip it from the other side because I'm sure that you should be able to, to flick some education. What is a, a piece of education that you could perhaps instill to somebody listening that you have given or shared to technicians that you've gone on site? Yeah, so um, I've always had this kind of very simple philosophy, um, the process of diagnosis. Um, the first thing you want to do is just understand the system or the circuit that you're dealing with as completely as you can. And second step is ask yourself what would happen if dot dot dot. So uh, if you understand the circuit and you start imposing questions like what would happen if I had a short to ground here? What if I had a short power here? What if I had a poor connection here? You can kind of work out what kind of symptoms you'll get and see if it matches up to the symptom that you're experiencing. Right? Okay. And then the third step is eliminate the possibilities. So figure out what your possibilities could be to start with, and then just start knocking them off one by one by, you know, circuit testing, resistance testing, all that kind of stuff. And it works for more than electrical circuits. It works for, for other stuff as well. But. Okay. Now, what's, what is one of the, uh, what is the, one of the most common repairs that you've had to do? I don't mean specifically to car, but I mean, what is, what is one thing that, constantly comes up where technicians it's not you've determined that it's there's yes there is something wrong with the car and maybe it's a durability or quality issue whatever whatever but there's 
a common problem that or a common mistake that a technician is making that you see regularly something that you could almost say that you could put a, a a piece of paper on the wall and pin it and say you know like the joke in IT is did you turn it off off and on like something like that what's something so common that that's almost like becomes a staple for you actually um terminal pit, uh, pin fitment is a super common one that throws a lot of uh, throws a lot of technicians because they'll they'll have a circuit error and they'll check the circuit from the module to the sensor and everything looks good so they assume that the circuit is okay but there's a you know um, a pin fitment issue at the module so the module because there's a poor connection right there you're getting a circuit fault but you've checked the circuit from where you can to the you know from the module to the to the sensor and everything looks good that throws a lot of that throws a lot of text for a loop um, just checking the the pin fitment of those terminals is super important What's awesome to hear you say that? Awesome to hear you say that. And is it safe to say if I use the phrase pin tension, we're on yep. the same page? Yep. So Absolutely. I've had this discussion before. I didn't realize it. it I, you'd say that would be a common thing. I, I did not expect you to say that it was common. Because it, going back like 13 years... Back in 2010, working on Dodge Grand Caravans, and uh, um, we had constant failures. Uh, where we had CAN bus failures. They would go down, lights, horns, wipers, bleh, all over the place. And, and you know, we spent, uh, at that particular time, we spent a ton of time. I've, I've recalled the story before. If you ever want to listen to it, there's it's back in previous episodes, but... The concept is that pin tension during a heat cycle. So a caravan would be outside in the sun absolutely baking, and it was always in the driver's D-pillar. This is like a 64-pin connector, and the CAN bus pin tension would slacken. You'd lose CAN bus while it was off, and it would just start going off. We'd bring it inside, and about 15 minutes later, as soon as the left rear corner cooled off enough, it cooled off. It would just randomly stop. Um, knowing that that was not necessarily an uncommon problem, but it was an uncommon problem for us then, and now over the years you've collected enough of them that's become a problem. So folks, those of you listening, if you suspect a circuit fault and can't find one, check your pin tension. For God's sakes, check your pin tension before you call Dale. Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it is. And the more sensitive, obviously, CAN bus circuits are so sensitive. You know, any mm -hmm. any little you know, poor connection in the circuit can 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 completely throw off the uh, the pattern. So, yeah, super super important, and that is one of the more more common ones, especially with awesome. the intermittent constraints for sure. Awesome. Now, uh, to that end, why Nissan? And I understand it because you started in GM, and and one of the things that I found over the years is that. Many of us tend to stick with what we started with, or vehemently veer away from what we started with. Um, case in point, Russell Wickham has spent the majority of his career with GM. He has lots of gripes about GM, but because most of his career is with GM, he stays with GM. You started with GM, and now you're not. You're with Nissan. What is, what is it that, that, shall we say, drove you to Nissan? 
Yeah, so this this kind of goes to the um, one of your later questions about you know tips for technicians uh, to, mm-hmm. to make to make sure that they're happier. Um, you have to find you have to find the scenario and the brand and everything that that best aligns with you as a person. And you'll find that if you've if you've had technicians that have tried different brands, they'll find a brand or something that really locks in with you know who they are, what they enjoy. Uh, I started with GM, um, but I never really liked the product that much. I didn't like the way they were, um, the the way the cars were built and designed, and you got to see them do a lot of silly things. Um, and then in, with the independents, I worked on a lot of Ford and Chrysler product. Uh, didn't really jive with them either. And then when I started working with Toyota, the Japanese imports um, really kind of, I really kind of um, aligned with how they were built and designed and the durability aspect of it. And it, they just made sense to me. And you'll hear this from a lot of different technicians like um, Euro guys tend to really like the way that their cars are designed and built and they're, they're really into Euro cars and stuff. Um, and I, like I've just been a, a Japanese import guy. You know, there's no other way to kind of explain it. It just, they make sense to me. I found them pretty easy to fix. They just make sense to me. Interesting. I I, I would tend to agree um, that some certain things speak to you. And it's right. not necessarily by environment or, or whichever y- you first get into. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a Mopar guy. Like, whether I agree with how they're built or not, I'm a Mopar guy. Whether I own one or not, I'm a Mopar guy. Um, I would love to. I would absolutely love to have my backside get in in a Dodge Ram every day. I would love it, especially the new ones. Like they're they're gorgeous. They ride nice. They look nice. They have all the features and and so on and so forth. And to me, they've just kind of always been the best looking truck. You know, there's lots of folks that might disagree with me and, and disagree with how they're built and, and so and how they're used. Um, but at the same time, you know, I've never owned a Dodge truck. I had, but I've had a ton of cars and I had, I had four neons or five neons if you count my SRT four. And, you know, once after that, it was just buying thing, buying cars that fit roles, not necessarily because of brand loyalty. I think if I was still fixing cars for a living full time, I'd be looking to be at a Dodge store and not because they're easier or harder to fix. It's just, it's where I spent most of my time. But now at a power sports store, now that I get to work on everything and I've worked on, I've probably worked on 12 different brands by now on motorcycles. I would happily spend my entire day just working on triumphs, no matter whether they were old or young and I, and I can't put my finger on why. It's just everything seems to make sense. And I think that's that kind of gives you the same kind of answer to you. Yep. Because I didn't haven't spent 20 years working on motorcycles, it's a more specific answer. Dodge is just because Dodge. I've just always been Dodge, been Dodge my entire life. But Triumph just seems I fit on them. Uh, they feel nice. The ergos fit me nice. The, the when I put them up on the hoist, everything comes apart the way I expect it to come apart. I don't like I don't feel I need to go get the service manager to go like how does this come apart? It just it's like oh this comes off of here and this comes off of here and da 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 and this comes apart and 
you know, then everything actually does come apart. That's the big thing. If I work on <coughs> a couple of the <coughs> HD brands, uh, they don't necessarily come apart the way you expect. And there's, you know, there's metric and there's standard and there's, you, you've got to put an entire gobshite full of Loctite on everything to make sure it doesn't vibrate apart. You don't have to do that with the Triumph. Um, and I only have to use, like, I, I think I probably use 12 tools when I work on a Triumph. It's about the same set of 12. So it, it feels right, it, and I and I think that, that speaks to that. Um, awesome. So yeah, that leads us into you kind of... You, they just pardon? align with... They just align with who you are, right? They just they exactly, just, right? Everything. Maybe that, does that mean that I, I'm basically an English snob in that particular circumstance? I buy the something, the the English bike that's slightly okay. Or you were okay, in a previous life, maybe I don't know. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> well, you you alluded to your 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 life hack, as it were, for technicians. So, what is it? What is the one piece of advice that you would suggest for technicians to be happier tomorrow? Well, actually, we've, we've been planning this for a while, so I've actually had some time to think. And I actually have two, um, if that's oh, cool with you. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so, yeah, the first one is find the situation that best fits with you, that best aligns with who you are as a person. And that could be the brand of the car that you're working on, um, how the shop is organized. Um, you know, if you're, um, if you're a really neat, tidy technician, you know, don't go work at a complete, you know, um, mm -hmm. it's totally messy shop where everything's chaotic, nothing's put away. You're going to be miserable. And the same thing if you're a, if you're a Euro car guy, don't go work at a you know domestic diesel shop, right? It's not going to interest you. It's not going to align with who you are, and you're going to be unhappy. It's just it's just the way it is. So find the situation that best aligns with you as a person, and you'll be you'll be much happier. And before and you go to your one. second one, I, before you go to your second one, I want to I want to follow that up with a. A how, because this is the the thing that um, you know. Right now, mechanics are changing jobs every eighteen to twenty twenty four months, at most. That's that's the average, and fifty that's fifty two percent of them are. So that's that's good and bad all at the same time because there's lots of statistics pro, lots of statistics con. You know, it's really bad for leadership because now you're having to find and train new people. In that circumstance where you're trying to find something that fits, as a technician. Would you then suggest, like, instead of going into a dealership more specifically, and now I, I preach finding a leader first, but if you, you're you suggesting that perhaps go to a dealership that has a really high vol volume, multi-brand used car lot, that's probably a really great way to figure out what it is that you like working on the best? Yeah, so there's, there's a couple ways around it. Most dealerships, you're going to get some exposure to a bunch of different brands. But if you see, you know, the, the local Toyota store and you see a bunch, a bunch of used BMWs on their lot because that's what sells in their area and you've got an interest in seeing what it's like to work on BMWs, that's not a bad option. Um, the, the big thing is, like, do real thorough interviews of the store that you're looking to work at. So they're going to interview you, but you want to make sure that the technician interviews the shop. And... Networking is a really key skill that I think a lot of technicians don't take advantage of. Like we all think, you know, when we're going, when we're when we're in the trade, networking is for bankers and, you know, general, G, you know, GMs and stuff like that. But it's not. Like you can you can learn a lot about a shop by getting to know the technicians that work there, and they'll tell you if you know if they're complaining all the time, 
um, about the service manager, the leadership in the shop. Um, that's the first thing you'll hear about. But get to know get to know the other technicians that work in your area at the different shops, and you'll hear about the good ones and the bad ones. Um, the other the other thing I would suggest is talk to your tool guys, because the tool guys know where the good shops and the bad shops are. Um, they might be a little bit hesitant to to you know to really bash the the bad ones, um, but they they will give you kind of glowing reports about the good ones. They'll, they know where the happy guys are and where the unhappy guys are. And I say guys, I mean guys and girls. Obviously, it's, uh, you know, we are starting to see more and more women in the trade, which is great, but not enough yet. But we're getting there. It's, it, it's not enough. Whilst we want to be as respectful in language as humanly possible, it's difficult after 20-plus years of, like, for example, I've, I've been in as many dealerships and, and in the industry as much as I have and talking to as many as I have. Um, I have never worked with a female mechanic. Um, I've been to enough shops. I've, I've actively worked in shops where I have, I think I, I total the number, I've worked with somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 technicians in my career, not including the, te- the coaching that I've done over the last year and a half. Just in that capacity, not a single one was female. So that, that statistic right now where it's, I think it's 96.4% of, of mechanics in the U.S. at least um, are, are men. So it's, tough to spend that much time to go, you know, hey, hey guys, hey folks, hey folks, this is what's going on, and and it's a tough, it's a tough transition because you get so habitual with it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. What was your second piece? What was your second piece of advice? Um, the second piece of advice uh, is stay curious. So technicians by nature, I find, have been, are they're just really curious people. They like taking stuff apart and figuring how it works. Um, but and after we've been in the trade for a little while, we tend to stop being curious. We just become parts changers, you know, the day in and day out of just get this car in, do the maintenance, kick it out kind of thing. Um, we stop being curious about the different operations in the dealership itself, if you're working at a dealership. Um, so those slow times, you know, every shop has times where we're not as busy. Uh, instead of, you know, sitting in that, camp chair in your bay, scrolling through social media, like, go hang out in the parts department for a little while, talk to the parts manager, see what their day-to-day looks like, find out what kind of KPIs they're looking at, find out what the shop could do better to help the parts department run smoother, go hang out in the service drive, see what your service advisors are doing during the day, talk to your service manager. If you've got any aspirations at all of, of uh, moving into different roles in a, in a, in a shop or a dealership, um, talk to the service manager and find out what kind of KPIs they're looking at on a daily basis. Find out what's important to them and see what kind of things they're dealing with. Get some exposure to the business side of things because a lot of technicians have, they don't get that exposure and then they don't know what options are available to them if they choose you know, to stop turning wrenches or if they have to because of you know, physical reasons or whatever. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's, that's so stay curious. Stay curious. And be hungry to learn where you fit. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Everything you learn, everything you learn is, is a deposit in your self-worth bank. You know, the more valuable you can be, the more options that you have to you, um, both inside the trade and outside the trade. And that's essentially what, where 
where it's led you if from the from from kind of this the outside perspective you've had your fingers in a lot of pies as it were that uh, allowed you to start in GM and now to be a, a support role for Nissan mm-hmm. so you you've taken yeah. those skills after you know all these years and translate it into something where you can give back to the community and and that's really what I'm looking for that's really what what Wrenchner's online is and and what is what's entire focus is is to give as much back as we possibly can to the the mechanic community so that we can better them make them happier healthier better every day yeah that's right and I learned a lot of stuff at at GM that still translates to what I do now there's there's things I learned with Toyota that still translate now there are things I learned as a farm that translate to my to my job now. I go in and I help dealerships just operate better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, part of part of what I do is help dealerships um, run smoother and um, kind of improve their fixed rate first time uh, scores and CSI scores and that kind of thing. And if I hadn't had the experience with you know the business side of it, uh, I wouldn't have those insights. And most of the guys who are doing my job, you know, they've got a variety of different backgrounds. Some were, uh, some were trainers, some were, you know, fixed operations managers for, you know, other manufacturers. But they were all technicians. That's kind of the common thread we all have is we're all technicians first. Awesome. That's awesome to hear. Because one, one of the things that I hear both online and in coaching um, is that mechanics feel very much, very strongly, very few feel the opposite but most feel like there's there's no way out that there's there's no career path or there isn't a whole lot of um you know ver- vertical motion as it were that it's you know service managers are rarity you know leadership like big leadership the big chair the gm store at the the gm position at the front is is hyper rare and i'm not saying that it isn't but it happens and it's now happening in enough that you're seeing it so when when you have you know ladies and gentlemen going from the shop floor starting pushing a broom or or detailing or being a porter and now after 25 to 30 years in the industry you know they're you know 50 years old you're not done at 50 you but you've got 30 years of experience in the industry you've got opportunities to become you know service manager to become fixed ops director fixed ops director of a group you know, become a, a GM, uh, become a GM, uh, or become a partner of a store. Um, I've seen it just on LinkedIn in the last year. I've seen I've seen it happen at least a half dozen times, notably of, of those large positions from uh, from from being a technician. So it's there if you want it, but you got to want it and you got to work for it. It's not easy either. the The big thing that I, I think talking to Zach Perkle a little while ago. You know, there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 260 courses for a Honda that is a requirement. Um, you know, and then there's 60 more, 64 more courses needed on or in class, and they're weeks at a time, and and so on and so forth, just to become a master tech. So if you want to get to that level where you're directing massive amounts of people and dealing with large quantities of money and people's lives, you need to be well-trained, you need to be well-educated, and you need to be well-versed in all aspects of, of the store, not just in service. But it's on, on us as mechanics to, it's like, if, if I want more than turning a wrench in 15 years, i got to start today and plant the seeds. Right? What's, the, right. what's, that, what's that adage? Um, 
yesterday, uh, 20 years ago was the best time to plant the tree. Today's the second best time, right? Something along those lines. So agreed, and I appreciate that. So, yeah, Dale, I really – Something I think we should talk about more um, is we, we, don't, we don't do this well in, the, in our industry. We don't, um, we don't do career planning for technicians typically well. Um, the, the first five years are mapped out pretty good. You know, you you get on the quick glue bay, you change oil for a little while, and you do some tires. If you got an aptitude for that, we'll enroll you, enroll you in an apprenticeship. We'll send you to school. You know, you'll do that for a few years. You'll write your red seal, your licensed mechanic, and then... What? Do that for 40 years, yeah. right? We don't, we don't typically plan past that for technicians. And I think it's, that's it's something... It's a rarity. That, it's a rarity. There are, of course, I'm speaking in general terms. So there's there's some organizations and some some shops that do that do career planning very well, and they advance their they advance their people. But I think it is, from what I've seen, uh, it is pretty rare. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, stay curious. You know, get in there, talk to the service manager, learn the business side of stuff, learn parts, learn service advising. You know, and then go talk to the sales guys. You know, get into the sales operations of things and find out what's going on there. Um, stay curious. Just learn everything you can about the business. And the, the opportunities will come up. And the, the more you know, the more you'll – the more you know, the more people you'll know. And the more people you know, the more opportunities will come. And, and once the more people – Right? A hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. It's – it's a compounding effect of knowledge. As you acquire it, you acquire more knowledge of people. And the more people know you have the sorry, the more people know that you have knowledge, the more opportunities will come and then it becomes a, a, a circle of just growing and growing and growing. And that's you know, you're talking about just learning in the in the store, learning people processes and, and, and policies in the store. There's there's folks that reach out to me for coaching that have never read a book outside of high school. Like these are these are detrimental languages that I'm hearing on a regular basis. Like you got to start picking up. I don't care what you pick up. Like you can pick up anything. Like I, I have a, a whole shelf up there of of leadership, empathy, emotional intelligence, business books. But I also I have a, a cord of thorns and roses on my bedside table that I'm reading. Like it's it's two completely different. You you need to be reading, and not mm-hmm. just doing your training at school and and learning doing training tutorials online and looking for courses and YouTube videos on how to get better at the the actual turning wrench job itself. But you need to expand your mind so that it becomes easier to learn the super important things to do your job. Because your brain isn't working, it, it's no different than going to the gym. If you're not working out the muscles, you're not able to grow the muscles or handle the weight. If you can't handle the weight, you can't learn more. So read. Read, 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 read. Even if it's for 15 minutes a day. Like, that's that's about all I can manage because after 15 minutes, I'm about ready to pass out. So I, it's yeah. that's time for it's my starting to become my bedtime routine. It's starting to read at night. I'm, I guess I'm getting old. Maybe I'm just getting old. Nice. I don't know. Nice. Yeah, anyway. and the, the other thing, we, we don't do, the tech, technicians, um, they don't do enough leadership training. So they, a lot of times you'll have a scenario, I hear this quite a bit, where 
you know, the technician, the most expensive or the most uh, experienced technician in the shop, all of a sudden there's a, there's a, the service manager quits. So by default, you're the guy that gets that chair because you're the most experienced tech in the shop, but mm-hmm. no leadership training, no business training, nothing. So you, you go from fixing cars to leading people and you don't have the skill set. And typically it doesn't, it doesn't end well. That's typically a, a really poor choice on uh, leadership's uh, uh, right. side because they're going, uh, okay, so Johnny's got 35 years in the trade. Let's put him in the chair. Johnny's the most arrogant prick in the shop, right? Johnny's the, Johnny's the guy that somehow turns 40, 40 hours by Thursday. His entire Friday is somehow nothing but jam, and he leaves by 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Johnny doesn't want to leave that, at least not right now. And he's also the guy that'll walk into the dispatch office and go, hey, are those five PDIs good to go? And walk out with all five and then walk back in at six o'clock at night and do the five PDIs in two hours. Right? That's that's the guy that they usually pick. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to help technicians learn to be you know, be better, be happier, more productive, but at the same time, you got to do your due diligence for the people who are supposedly leading you. And, you know, there are, there's lots of content out there by, to help folks be better, technically. But like you said, there isn't career planning, there isn't leadership training. You're going to have to find that yourself. There are lots of folks out there that provide leadership training that you should even just dabble in. Right. Yeah. What are what are the courses that you would? Re- is there something that you would recommend, like a book that you'd recommend le- reading? It's like, hey guys, if you want to learn anything about leadership, pick up this book. So two, I'll give you two. Um, Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. Mm-hmm. Um, phenomenal book about fundamentals of leadership. Um, and the other one that I just finished on Audible, actually, because I drive a lot, so I listen to a lot of books, um, is. Um, Extreme Ownership um, by Jocko Willick and Leif Babbitt. Mm-hmm. Uh, two phenomenal books on, on leadership. Leaders Eat Last is, a, is just a really good one. It's not, it just gives you the basics of what real leadership is. And uh, he uses a lot of examples from, from the military. Mm-hmm. And as a team, like I was a team lead for a number of years. And that one's a really clarifying book when it talks about, you know, making sure all of you guys are taken care of and your responsibility as a leader in the shop, even though you, you might or might not have a title that goes with it. Um, you can be a leader in the shop just by taking care of the other people in your, in your circles. Right. Mm-hmm. And you, I think those two books, one of the biggest keys, you know, the both books provide a lot of examples. I really like both books because they provide real life examples of right. people that they've helped, consulted, can coached, and they've give, given context to what they're very. And, and I think one thing to remember in both books, they provide some very, very simple knowledge that is incredibly yeah. impactful. Even just just think about the phrase in um, Leaders at Last itself. That is more of a metaphor, but the the speaking last part. As a leader, mm-hmm. speak last. 
Don't walk in a room and say, this is my, and try and paraphrase from the book, but don't walk in a room as a leader and say, you know, this is the problem. This is what I think we should do. What do you guys think? No. Go around the room and say, hey, we're here today talking about, you know, our Q1 uh, profitability. Uh, What do you guys think is going on? What problems do you see? What solutions uh, do you think we, we have immediately? And what can we work on going forward? Get the get the feedback first, then chew on it. Don't immediately respond. Chew on it in the moment, and then respond. That that one for me was really impactful. I didn't realize I knew I was doing it. You know, I read this book when I was a, a GM at a collision center. I didn't realize that that's what I was doing. You know, it's incredibly challenging for someone you're leading to be basically told what the problem is and told what you think the solution is and then say, hey, what do you think? They have no desire to feed, give feedback because any feedback that you're going to present, they're going to be like, no, oh, he's just going to brush it off anyway. Cool, we got, we got deep on that one, down, down the rabbit hole a little bit. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. So do you have any questions? Do you have you know any shout-outs? Do you have anything like that? Um. No, no, not really. Uh, it was good chatting with you. I've been enjoying the podcast. I've listened to most of your episodes now, uh, and I enjoy what you're doing. So thank you for letting me be a part of it. I, you're very welcome. Thank you for give, giving us the time and giving a little bit of uh, give, getting a little bit of look at what, what your day-to-day is like, what your story's like, and, and the things that you're doing to give back to the mechanic community. I really appreciate that. No problem. Oh, no! That's the end of today's episode, wrenches. But that's okay, because there's going to be another one next week. I really hope you enjoy and subscribe. Thank you, Dale, for taking your time out of the day and spending it with us, sharing your life, your experiences, your knowledge, and your tidbits of advice. As usual, we're going to finish off this episode with a quote. Before you are a leader, success is all about growing yourself. When you become a leader, success is all about growing others. Jack Welsh. Remember folks, negative pushes, positive pulls, and always clean your toys before you put them away.